This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Mindfulness is the practice of increasing your awareness of the present moment. We spend so much of our lives thinking of the past or the future and not focusing on the here and now. Mindfulness is our basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are and what we're doing. By practicing mindfulness regularly, this helps us to not be overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. Mindful.org states, Whenever you bring awareness to what you're directly experiencing via your senses or to your state of mind via your thoughts and emotions, you're being mindful. And there's growing research showing that when you train your brain to be mindful, you're actually remodeling the physical structure of your brain. Meditation also has a significant impact on the brain. The practice of meditation increases mental and physical health, will help you find more inner peace, make more meaning and purpose in your life, and increase self-awareness. Meditation is learning to sit with your mind and training it to be more open and at ease. This is a practice that when incorporated into your daily life, you will find the benefits to be extremely valuable. Valeria Telles interviews Jennifer Shapiro-Lee, a LCSWR psychotherapist, certified mindfulness and meditation instructor, mindfulness in the workplace trainer, and motivational speaker. Jennifer Shapiro-Lee is the founder and director of a private psychotherapy group practice located in Roslyn, New York, where she and her team help children, individuals, families, and couples taking a holistic approach to mental health. In addition, Jennifer leads meditation classes, therapeutic retreats, and corporate wellness events, and is a motivational speaker. Jennifer has been recognized by business achievement organizations for her work, and appears regularly on media outlets where she speaks about the importance of mental health awareness. Meet Jennifer at jennifershapirolee.com. Here is the interview with Jennifer Shapiro Lee. In your own words, who is Jennifer Shapiro Lee? Jennifer Shapirley. I am a therapist. Um, I am a mother. I am a friend. I am someone that loves to explore things. I'm curious. I love to travel, um, just to live life to its fullest in every single way, whether it's personally or professionally, I give everything my all. And I, I'm, I'm not, so I'm not really, and I, I take risks. I take risks for what I see as like the better future. Oh, I love that, this idea of living life to the fullest. And I wonder what that feels like, Jennifer, 
what is like to, to live life to the fullest, even in, in a small way, as you said. It doesn't have to be in, in a big way. But talk to me for a moment about that. I guess I just try. I think that we have, you know, we have one chance at life, right? And I just try to always push the myself for personal growth, um, professional growth, just really, obviously, it's not all perfect. It doesn't, you know, but just to do the best I can and keep going and keep trying. And um, I just like to experience life. I think that there's so much we can learn out of life and grow from. Um, so that's just always putting my all into that, I would say. Do you have any goals when it comes to this sense of experiencing life, experimenting life? Is there a destination for that that you're looking for or no destinations? Yeah. I know. I feel like I always have goals. I feel like I live, I have like 10-year goals, I have 5-year goals, short-term goals. Um, you know, I don't always meet every single one of my goals, but I always try and work towards them. And I, I have an idea of what I want. And I always kind of start, I take, I look at my goals, say I want where I want to be in 10 years and what do I have to do to get there? And then I try and work towards that. Um, that's kind of the way I've always been. I think that's some of the reason that got me to where I am, am and my career and, you know, just trying to, yeah, I just have things I want to do. I've, I've realized throughout life that life can be short and, you know, I want to try and make the most of it that I can. If you knew you would die soon, would you regret anything or what would you do differently if that became a reality, a fact? It's like maybe worry about things less that um, didn't need to worry about or um, not worry about people's judgments about things and kind of like the expectations of what other people want and more being, I guess, true to my authentic self and true to what I really want. I see a lot that, you know, we get um, wrapped up in maybe like the communities we live in and expectations and things and people don't really live true to what they really want. And I think I, I would like to try and always do that um, as best as I can. I know sometimes we all get sidetracked, but then just to, you know, remember like what, what, what I'd like to do and what, what feels true to me, I guess. And living life authentically or as natural as possible being ourselves. I love that idea. And when you talk about knowing what we want, I noticed that a lot of people don't know what they want. A lot of us don't. What is your suggestion for that? How do we find out what we really want from life? Well, I think a lot of us don't know what we want, including, I mean, I have things in my life that I struggle with, right? Finding clarity and kind of figuring it out. And I think it's just about trusting. I tell clients to trust the process and don't look for always for the outcome. So we all like want, we all want to know what the outcome is, but sometimes we just have to trust the process and know that like things come to us and happen to us um, in timing. And there's times we won't know things. And then there's times we'll, they'll be more clear and almost to just trust in that. And, you know, or we almost like have this road and we go keep dipping off of it. And, you know, then we bear back on to where we're supposed to go. Yeah. So that in a way requires trust, doesn't it? It's almost like trust in the process and the unknown life itself. Yeah, and I think to work towards trusting in ourselves too. Because um, I think a lot of times we don't know things possibly, but in inside I feel that we may. Like, you know, sometimes we resist what we know even. Mm -hmm. When you say trusting oneself in ourselves, would you say be in touch with our intuition? Is that the way to do that? Yeah, be in touch with your intuition, your gut feelings, um, things like that, yeah. Which is very easy to tell in a way, isn't it, Jennifer? when something feels right, because the body, it resonates with the body immediately. But sometimes it doesn't too. So it's very playful, this space of intuition. 
It's true. I mean, but lots of times, like say, for example, we get asked to do something. Um, sometimes we say yes to things we don't really want to be doing. And you kind of know right away, like if you really want to do something or you don't. And, you know, sometimes we just, you know, I kind of tell clients, like when you're asked to do something, is it like something you want to do? You have to do. Sometimes we do have obligations or is it something you should do? And if it's something you should do, then, you know, to kind of think of like, what do you want to be doing? We spend so much of our time, I think, doing things we don't necessarily want to be doing and where, and I guess where we place our time. Question that comes, responsibility, this idea of committing ourselves to do one thing, one thing only in life. And then we overcommit and now we can't really say no to these things that we do that we don't want to do. And that becomes a challenge. What is your suggestion for that? What do we do in that sense? Have the courage to undo everything and start from scratch or... Well, it could be just baby steps. It could be like looking at your calendar each week and figuring out what's in your calendar that is true to like what you want to be doing. And obviously we have maybe family obligations, work obligations, but then also looking at where are you spending your free time? Are you doing things that you don't want to be doing or things that you'd like? Um, So really for us to just know we have like some choices we can make. How to describe what mental health is? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? I believe it's like a combination of your mind, body, spirit, you know, just of your well-being, just really like every day making, um, working towards, you know, helping yourself with your well-being. I mean, their mental health is a, is a real thing. I mean, just like there are people have physical ailments, people have mental health ailments. I mean, one in four people struggle with a mental health condition. So um, while it, there's been, you know, throughout the years, like maybe it's not talking about as freely as you know, physical conditions, I really think it needs to be because it's super important. And it's, um, it's so common. I mean, we all either struggle with it, know someone who does, or, you know, we all have people in our lives, one in four, right? That's like, um, we've all and we all handle, we all have stress in our lives. Like every no one is, you know, no one goes through life without any stress and any anxiety. So, so yeah, with that in mind, what are the signs? So how can we recognize that we are not mentally well? Would you say anxiety, depression? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, if, if someone's not feeling well, and it's really starting to interfere with their day to day life, it's really good to get help and go see a therapist or get an evaluation or see what's going on. Um, it could look like it's like, you know, we all have like, right, like a normal amount of worry. But if it becomes like, worrying that's just so overwhelming where it's keeping someone up at night or their mind is constantly spiraling to the worst case scenario or um, having like consistent negative thoughts, um, you know, things like that. Or, you know, as far as like depression goes, possibly like, you know, over under sleeping or over under eating or it's just like a lack of pleasure and activities someone once found enjoyable or just like a down mood or anything like that. Um, it's just good to keep paying attention to that. And if it's interfering with someone's functioning, just really for them to seek some support. So that's crucial, isn't it? To look for support or help. And most of us don't because of the stigma of mental health, the stigma that mental health has, uh, which is, you said beautifully, that is the same as physical illnesses. When we have an issue with the body, it's the same thing. There's no difference, really. But we tend to think that there is a difference. Yeah, like if someone had a heart condition, right, they possibly 
possibly there's a medication for that in treatment. Like there's the same, there's treatment for mental health, whether it be, you know, go to therapy or, I mean, there's all different types of therapy now, um, like specializations and techniques. And, you know, then there's medication management, there's um, holistic ways, like there's a lot that a lot could be done to help with mental health. So true. And let me ask you questions for a moment about anxiety. What are the main causes of anxiety, Jennifer? Um, I mean, people worry lots of times our minds, you know, anxiety is when someone is thinking of the future. A lot of times we're thinking of our future. We as um, humans do not like uncertainty and sometimes we don't know our future. So, um, and lots of times anxiety is worry about what's going to happen. I mean, people spend so much time worrying about things that actually never happen, but to the body, it feels very real when they're wearing those moments. They, they really feel like it could happen. Um, and it causes a lot of unneeded distress, I would say, you know, and lots of times we're worrying about like the worst case scenario, which, um, doesn't usually end up happening. If you, if someone probably thinks about like all the things they worried about, for example, like last week, probably a lot of them either didn't happen or, the following week, they actually forgot about what they were worrying about pretty much. I mean, not to say there's not big worries in life. There is like, there's sometimes big, big issues, but like, you know, on a day to day, there's a lot of things. So we could work on training our mind to not worry about as much. Yeah. And that brings me to the topic of meditation and mindfulness, being present to what is present and not dwelling in the past or future, which is really challenging to do. So talk to me for a moment about the difference between mindfulness and meditation. So meditation is a form of mindfulness. Mindfulness is being present in the moment without judge, like having a non-judgmental awareness of what's going on and really being like in the here and now. So, um, for example, like a mindfulness activity could like, it could be like, it's, it's a lot of time it helps to focus on, um, your senses and what you're doing. So for example, if you're taking a walk to do that mindfully, that could just be, um, you know, looking at what, what nature is around you. It could be, um, you know, listening to what you hear, like looking at what colors and things you see. That's a form of like mindfully walking. You could be playing like, a board game and try and do that mindfully. And that would mean that you're actually like immersed in the game. What happens is we spend so much of our life, for example, like, um, I know myself, I, I can, I can struggle with this. Like I have young, I have kids and, you know, I also have own a business. So like I get texts, I get emails at all times and, you know, I'll, I'll be with my kids, but I'm not sometimes, you know, sometimes we're not mindfully with the people we're with. If like we're getting a phone call and we're supposed to be like spending time with them, you know? So it's like, I think we all really struggle with that, especially the way technology is nowadays. So mindfully would be like, if you put down the phone and for example, I'm involved in that activity with my kids where my phone is not next to me. Um, and we deal with external and internal stressors, right? Like internal would be like, we're with someone and they're right in front of us. Maybe we're out to dinner with them and our mind is not with them. Like we're not hearing what they're saying. Our mind is somewhere else. That's an internal, um, preoccupied, you know, where our mind is occupied. And then externally, we deal with stressors where we're not mindful in what we're doing, where like there's lots of um, trying to multitask, right, or do different things. So um, and meditation is a form of mindfulness. It's a way like we can train our brain um, to, you know, kind of be in the here and now and focus mm -hmm. and be present. Is meditation and mindfulness a spiritual practice for you, Jennifer, or this is only a practice? No, it's definitely a spiritual practice for me. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, you know, for some people, I feel like it is more than others, but spirituality is something really important to me personally. Um, more just feeling like 
like I mentioned before, kind of that the universe brings to us when we need it and what happens at, you know, the life kind of happens in certain ways. And, um, just almost like having faith and trying for me, I, I practice a lot of like, um, I wouldn't, I would say I practice a lot of like trying to have faith and, um, the opposite of faith, right. Is fear. So trying to fight through a lot of my fears, um, have some faith. Oh, wow. I never heard it that way. The opposite of faith is fear. Yeah. Fears, but, um, you know, we all have a lot of fears that hold us back. So I guess when I mentioned before, trying to live to the fullest, I try to fight through my fear a lot to and ha- and have faith, I guess. And like I feel like meditation is just a spiritual practice too. Um, when I do it, connect me to myself and really kind of stop for a moment and just you know be be where I'm at and you know like let all the the you know I have a very busy life as do a lot of people and kind of just you know sit still with ourselves. And sometimes I need to do that. How do you define healing? And what are some of the misconceptions we have about healing? So healing is like a complex thing, I think. Um, I think a lot of, I think everyone has something they have to heal from, to be honest. Um, You know, I think whether people choose to confront it or not is different. Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of reasons there are such things in our society of, um, you know, a lot of addictions and things like that is because a lot of people use that to numb out healing. It's painful. Healing, you know, from things can be a hard process. And, um, but at the same time, I think what we resist persists. And I think in order to kind of live our own false life, it's important to face things that happen to us and really try to heal. And that may involve, that may look very different for different people, right? That could be someone who, that could be someone who decides like they want to um, take care of them, their mind um, and body physically. And maybe they, like for them, healing would be like they run a marathon and they practice. And as they're practicing, they're thinking about things they've been through and they're just like persevering and going for someone else that could look like someone who commits to like weekly therapy treatment or trauma treatment, um, you know, or it could be someone who finds like their own religious journey or spiritual path. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways to heal. Or, yeah, or or maybe it means like having to confront someone that, you know, you've had struggles with, which is preventing you from healing or um, for someone else it could look like learning to set more boundaries and limits and not people please as much. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, there's so many things about healing. I mean, for another person, it could be just learning to work through their anger and like their past, which brought on the anger. So, um, I mean, healing is all about the work that I do every day in my practice. Yes, thank you for doing that, Jennifer, in the uh, dualistic reality. And another question about healing is, do you connect healing to spirituality and authenticity? I do. Um, I mean, this isn't something I do personally. Like I would say in my practice, I focus more on um, where the client's at and some of them don't, some people aren't so into that spiritual side. Uh, Yeah, for for me personally, um, for sure. So, I mean, I think healing is the more you heal, the more you are your true authentic self and living a life that feels really, you can get through a lot. Like when someone heals and when they face their stuff head on, um, I think the world opens up a lot. Mm, Yes. A billion times (laughs) to that, to say yes to healing, right? Because it's not easy. It's very challenging uh, to accept that invitation. And then I wonder, like you said, to be honest, I know that so many of us, all of us um, have something to heal from. 
um, all of us, and I agree. And then let's see those ending questions here for this first part of the interview. Let me ask you this one. What do you love most about being in a human body? Being in the human body. That's never, I've never been asked that question. Um, what I love most about being in the human body? I don't know. I mean, I just, I just like the experience of, of life. And I think that there's a way to, I mean, for me, like, I guess everyone has their different maybe thing in their body. Like if someone was an athlete, maybe that would be like the thing in their body. But for me, um, I don't know, my mind is really like really important to me. Just I, I, to think, to learn, to explore, to grow, to, I mean, it provides all these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I relate to it. If I ask the question to myself, I would say something that has to do with realizing some truth about life, exploring life itself through the thinking mind or that part of the mind that perceives things, changing perspective. That It's really, really what I love about this. So it's interesting that you say that about the mind. And my last warm-up question is about freedom and true power. What comes to mind when you hear those words? Freedom and true power. Just like, I mean, empowerment. And um, I think it's great when people can feel empowered. And I think it's really important for people to work towards finding validation within themselves. And, you know, I see a lot of, I see a lot of people throughout all my years as a therapist who, you know, that's something we work on, right? Like self validation, self care, self acceptance, self love. And I think, I think all that work can add to a real sense of empowerment power and freedom. Hi, how many times I can say yes to that? Yes, self-acceptance, right? Um, yes, yes, yes. And what inspired you to become a psychotherapist, Jennifer? Yeah, so um, I I always knew this is kind of what I was meant to do, actually. Um, and But I, I've had two professions. I was in the fashion industry in New York City, and um, I had a a really good position actually and um worked really hard to move up in that world in the fashion industry and um I but I always knew I was going to be a therapist too like it was almost like a knowing like it was almost like a being in a knowing but I liked that whole side too and then um I applied to school and I I didn't go I got it I was like I'm not going to go right now like I I'm going to stay in my fashion industry job like I I was traveling everywhere I was I was just doing a lot of fun things like, um, you know, so I stayed and then, um, I experienced talk about like healing. I've had to do a lot of my own personal healing. Um, I experienced a life changing event in 2004. I actually lost my father to suicide in 2004. And he, um, he was like talking, you know, we were talking about stigma around mental health issues. My father was a very high functioning, um, successful CEO of a hospital system. And he went to work until the last day. And um, I actually never at that age had seen my, I mean, I was in my 20s when that happened. I had never seen my father depressed and come to find out he hid it from everyone um, because of his status and, you know, with taking medication, not telling anyone for depression. Um, so basically that completely changed my whole life. I almost think of my life as like the before and after because it was such a life-changing experience. And, um, then I, before that, like I'd always known I was meant to be a therapist. I 
applied to school three years later and I left my fashion industry job and I became a therapist. And, um, yeah, and now I, I mean, I'm doing work that I'm really meant to be doing. And, um, it's almost like, I mean, it was like the hardest, worst thing I ever went through, but it's almost like, I don't know, my why just kind of found me and I, I wish I never had to go through that. But, um, since I've been in a very fulfilling career that I really love. Yeah, it very much sounds like the way you speak. Uh, that's a topic that I had an interview yesterday about suicide, interviewing a mother who lost her son, 22 years old, he committed suicide. And that's a topic that most of us don't want to talk about. Isn't that interesting? And I remember yesterday even when the interview was over, I talked to my husband about it and I started the conversation about suicide and he asked me to stop too. So that is interesting how that stigma, you're right, about topics like that, that has to do with mental health, that I don't understand why so much silence and fear around them. I don't know. And it's not a good thing because, um, you know, our youth, like it's one of the number one causes of our of, the, of death right now in our youth. And it's definitely, out, you know, it's something that happens on a daily basis all over the world. So, um, just like I mentioned, one in four people have a mental health issue. It's, it's a real thing. And, you know, and it's a thing like, um, mental health is a disease that could be silent because, you know, um, people don't walk around with it. And if they're not telling anyone about it, then not necessarily people would see it or know. So, um, it's really important to destigmatize that. So less of these things happen and more people get help. Like I truly believe, for example, in my own personal situation that my father, maybe here if it wasn't a stigma and it was just like any other health issue. And he, as a CEO of a hospital could have told people he needed his own help, you know? And, um, I just think it's something that, that really people should be more open to talking about because it's a real thing that uh, happens, you know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Denying the truth won't help. It never helps. It, it can't. So there is this, um, yeah, we are attached or, kind of created this habit around denying what's happening. And that's such an interesting thing to see. There's a lot of confusion around it, too, I think. I, there's some confusion in people not understanding or people. So it, so it is a hard topic, you know, but it's important. How did you discover meditation and mindfulness, Jennifer? Through a bunch of trainings in my field, um, I ended up going to different trainings and I actually was not someone who did meditation or mindfulness. This was like many, many years ago. Um, and I just, I kept going to training after training and I knew that the research showed that it was so highly um, effective and for people, but I just, you know, so basically I kind of fell into it. I would say like at first I was kind of, I was almost, I don't know if skeptical is a word. I just didn't practice it myself and I didn't see it for myself. And then, um, and then I got a bunch of trainings and then later on I saw how effective it was that I ended up going to be certified as a teacher because, um, I just saw it really change people's lives. Like I've, I've, I've had, I've worked with people who are, um, extremely depressed out of the hospital and, follow daily breathing techniques and things and feel like that is one of the things that really contribute to them getting better and feeling, you know, and doing well. So um, I think it really can be very helpful. Talk to me for a moment about mindfulness meditation and anxiety. How does it work? What is the process of working through that with meditation mindfulness? Well, it's a very effective form of that, something very effective that does help with anxiety because um, when we do breathing, it activates our parasympathetic nervous system, 
which is the rest and relax, relax part of our nervous system. And it automatically helps us calm down. So, you know, even if like our, you know, our, we're having, say we're having an argument with someone, right. And, you know, we, if we just start breathing like that, it's a physical, it helps us physically, you know, change and calm down. Then our our minds can follow. And then maybe we can look at the argument more rationally or not be so dysregulated. So, um, you know, it really is like a science and they're doing study after study on, um, on meditation and they see the effectiveness of it. If they um, put two people in an MRI machine, they see a difference in the stress level in the brains of people who meditate with less stress. So, um, it's a real thing. You're also the founder and director of a private psychotherapy group practice located in New York. Do you also train professionals, Jennifer? So I do. So I bring on therapists to work in my practice and I um, supervise, supervise therapists who maybe haven't been doing as long as I have and help them with different cases and um, trainings. And so I do that. Yeah. So it's, it's great. And, um, you know, it just gives us the ability to, to have, you know, some of my therapists have different specializations too than I do where I work more with adults. Some of them work in a school during the day and work in my practice at night. So we're really able to cater to helping a lot of people. Yeah, so I have a therapy practice in New York and we're in person also online. And then um, some other stuff that I do is I go into um, companies and organizations and I do workshops and I do trainings on meditation or mindfulness or um, mental health awareness or stress reduction. So um, I do things like that at different organizations. Meditation mindfulness, is this something that has been integrated in hospitals have you seen that happening? Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you have? Oh. Yeah, wow. I have. So I've worked in hosp- I worked in hospitals in Manhattan and um they have done, you know, different things for example for chronic pain where one group receives meditation and one does not and um they see usually almost always that the group who had the meditation can manage their chronic pain better. So um, definitely things in hospitals. I've even, I've also gone into hospitals and done um, trainings for staff on mindfulness and meditation and done workshops for them. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's used everywhere right now. Like I've, I've gone into schools and I've done things for um, children as well as teachers. So it's, it's, it's getting more and more um, out there. I know before sometimes people thought it was kind of strange or like, what is it? And I think now it's becoming more mainstream where people are seeing more of the benefits of it. And going back to the topic of meditation, let me ask you a few more questions. So when we are ready to meditate, do we set an intention? What are the tools? How do we set that space for that to happen? Are we looking for something to happen? Well, I think the first thing is just be willing to try it. Um, If someone has never tried it, just being open just really to try and concentrate on your breath. And um, we talk to ourselves in meditation the way we do in real life. So if you're being hard on yourself or having doubts or being unkind to yourself. It's really about trying to just notice what you're doing and not judge yourself. It's good to have a focus during meditation, whether it be like your breath or if you're listening to a guided meditation, the sound of the person's voice, that will help just like center the person within doing the meditation. And the biggest misconception I see all over is that people think that they're not supposed to think during meditation. And they think, and then they think, oh, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. Um, because I can't stop my mind from thinking, which it's a complete misconception because we can never stop our mind from thinking. Um, even people who do meditation for, you know, years on end and, um, still so 
our mind actually has 60 to 8,000 thoughts per day. So it's the nature, yeah, it's the nature of our mind to think. So during meditation, um, what I tell people is it's not about stopping your mind from thinking. It's just about when you notice the thought, when you notice your mind wandering from your breathing or the voice you're listening to, just try and bring it back. And you may have to do that 50 times during one meditation. You may be doing a meditation and be thinking of, what you're going to eat for lunch or what you need to do for work or what a family member needs. And then every time you notice that, that you're thinking like that, don't judge it. Don't be hard on yourself, but just bring yourself back to your breath. And you may have to keep doing that over and over. Um, the reason why this is very helpful with anxiety is because that trains our mind how to do that in real life. So in real life, when we're not meditating and we're stressing and thinking of all these different things, the so the practice of meditation helps us learn how to bring it back. Um, so if you're if you're thinking of like all the reasons why someone didn't call you back, for example, as an example, um, in real life, then you can almost like I think after doing meditation for a while, you could just say like I don't know why they didn't call me back. Let me just let me just move on and and not focus on this and come back to the present moment. That is amazing. Um, so it is a focus. We are focusing, choosing to focus on something else rather than thoughts. With this idea in mind, Jennifer, that really shows that we are not our thoughts, right? We are not the thoughts we have. We're not our thoughts. Yeah, I tell, I tell clients all that that all the time because a lot of clients feel like they are their thoughts or they feel like their thoughts control them. And I work on with clients on letting them feel like they're in control of their thoughts um, and not letting their thoughts overwhelm them. And then the question I want to ask is like, who are we then if we are not the thoughts that are asking us to do this and that and behave the way we do? Who are we? Well, I mean, I think it's a good question. I'm just trying to think how to answer that. I mean, like our thoughts are just thoughts, right? Our emotions are just emotions. Um, you know, I think who we are at our heart and our core is really important. Um, you know, when when you take, I mean, you know, life kind of interferes sometimes. And then we have all these ideas of like, you know, we have all these ideas of kind of like things we have to be keeping up with or doing or, and we have all these thoughts about it. And when you take all that away, it's just about, I mean, hopefully it's just like a loving, you know, someone at their core, like a loving experience. Um, you know, I, I had an interesting, this just made me think of this while we're talking. It's a little bit off related, but I recently had an experience with a loved one going through hospice and, um, something that was profound to me was I was with the people in hospice and they said to me, the one thing that they all love, they said to me, we love our job because at the end of the life, when you take away like all that stuff, all the material stuff, all the obligations, all the achievements, everyone we see is just like so selfless and like, and just like their core and just kind of like love and want the best for like future generations. And I just like, they said like that stuff, they see people who might've been selfish at one point and they're like, everyone they see at the end is just not, is given all that up and just selfless. Uh, so in a way, who we are, it's very impersonal. There's nothing to do with ideas, concepts, beliefs. It's might be open, this open space that we, I call it life itself, really. Like I often say, I don't have a life, I am life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. That kind of resonates. It is uh, part of non-duality teachings that for some reason really resonates with me, with this here that I call me. That also resonates with what you're saying. In the end, there was just it. There's just life. There's nothing else there. Beautiful. Yeah, great that you said that too. <laughs> so we're almost at the end, Jennifer. Let's see if I have any more questions for you. I do have 
all other questions here about meditation, but I do have the ending questions too. Do you have anything to add? Would you like to add any more tips or suggest any kind of kinds of meditation exercise for beginners? That might be helpful. Yeah, I would say just to give it a try. I would only start with a few minutes. And the biggest thing is just to be consistent. So I'd rather have someone do like literally three minutes a day than do like five minutes and then 20 minutes one day. And, you know, it's just really, it's like just consistency. I would just try and do like three minutes a day. And the best thing to do is kind of breathe into your nose and out through your nose, or your mouth. And um, there's some apps which are good for beginners, such as um, Calm or Headspace or Insight Timer. And I would make sure that, you know, you like the voice that you're listening to. Um, if you don't like the voice, try a different voice because you want it to be a soothing sound to you. Um, and just be willing to stick with it and not judge yourself and be kind to yourself. And um, and like a lot of these guided apps have different headings where it may say, um, you know, helping your self-esteem or confidence or sleep or I mean, you know, like think of what you need in that moment and what speaks to you. And I would just do whatever speaks to you in that moment. If it's like you have a presentation, you're worried, then go into like confidence or um you know, so there's always like on a lot of these apps, like really titles that can for everyone. How to define success these days? What is to be successful to you? I think it's so different for each person, right? Like I think it's whatever their values and goals and beliefs are. Um, I think success is such an open thing that can look different for everyone. But, you know, for, for me personally, I guess success is trying to be a good person and, um, doing things that I feel that matter, that I'm passionate about, um, just giving to the people I love. And yeah, and just like, like I said, experiencing life as much as I can while I'm here. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Sounds very natural and simple and obvious. <laughs> and my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? I think like love, of course, um, some love with whoever, um, whether that's a friend, family member, spouse, um, just think like kindness of oneself is important. Um, just learning to be kind to oneself. I think we spend a lot of our life sometimes not doing that and it's, it's too bad. Um, I think that's good. And so one other, something else, I don't just like, like, like push yourself, push yourself through fear and have life experiences. I love that message. Yeah. We, how simple that seems. I love that, Jennifer. Just experience life. Yeah, I think like our growth comes a lot when we push ourselves out of our comfort zone. We all resist that. And I think that's where a lot of the growth is. So true. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today, for the work you do and how you do it um, and everything else in between. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your service, products, work and future projects? Yeah, so I'm jennifershapirolee.com is my website. And then I am under um, Jennifer Shapiro Lee Psychotherapy on um, Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. So I have um, some YouTube videos up, which are, you know, also under my name where I give, a, you know, different tips and coping techniques. And actually on my website, there's a list of about 40 different coping techniques that people could download and print out. So that's there as well. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Jennifer. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jennifer Shapiro Lee and her work, please visit jennifershapirolee.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.